the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, we've got a great uh, show and a lot going on. And uh, I was uh, trying to think of how to head into the weekend and, um, and important issues. I know I probably have tired people out with my ongoing discussion of China. Of course, the issues is yesterday I was talking about impeaching Joe Biden over his uh, conduct regarding China. Uh, and having released a strategic strategic petroleum reserve and given it to Chinese companies, it turns out it looks like the Chinese companies that, the, that got the strategic petroleum reserve are companies, can you believe it, that uh, Hunter Biden invested in. I mean, it just gets crazier and crazier, worse and worse. All right. Uh, today, we've got a couple of important uh, interviews. I will talk with Hugh Brown, who's the American Life League uh, vice president, uh, great guy, impressive man. And say, hey, we're going to talk about uh, what the American Life League has done for 50 years. Uh, about 40 years, standing tall for pro-life fights. And then we'll talk with Mike Davis, our old friend Mike Davis of the Article 3 Project, get an update on exactly what's going on, what the Dobbs ruling, what he saw. I also want to put him on the spot a little bit. He's been one of the earliest and most frequent callers uh, for enforcement of the laws to stop the people who are protesting in front of the in front of the um, uh, homes of justices. I'm going to put him on the spot and see if I can uh, get him to tell us what's going on with that. So a lot more. But first, let's talk about what um, how we should end the first week of July, the first full week of July. And one of the things I want to do, I, I have been with my uh, son, I have been listening to the uh, David McCulloch book, 1776. And it's an extraordinary book. Um, I have to tell you that I have, because of the fake news over the last five years and, and watching the fake academics, you know, the fake um, universities, uh, I, I, I worry about fake history. And, and when I listen to David McCulloch, he's such a great uh, writer, um, such an entertaining writer and such a popular writer. And he reads this book, 1776. It's his voice. He's got a wonderful voice. He had a sort of second uh, secondary career to his writing as a narrator. I think of a number of the Ken Burns documentaries as David McCulloch. Um, but I wonder sometimes about how uh, much we're getting fake history. However, uh, what I want to say and what I want to end this week on is a note, an upbeat note uh, of how great America is, how great Americans are, how great, how blessed we are, and how you know positive and possible uh, and bright the future is. And my point here is that in 1776, until about December 15th, I think David McCulloch in the book at the end, the last chapter or so, says from August until December was about as bleak a period as we've ever seen or probably will see. It was far beyond anything. You know, the, the whole uh, American nation hadn't really uh, been going very long and the experiment was early young and it looked like at any point it could have turned against it. And, and uh, in that context, Washington continues to lose. He loses, he loses, he loses, makes some mistakes, right? Uh, General Lee is captured by the British, the number two in the whole army, is sitting in a tavern in uh, Basking Ridge, New Jersey, being an idiot. I mean, being dumb. And the whole thing is falling apart. 
until the last week of 1776, as, as, as Washington is facing almost all the army, their enlistment uh, tour was up on the 31st of December, and most of them were planning to walk away and go home. They'd already served for years. They couldn't afford it. They had families at home, wives, kids, farms. They needed to go there. And so Washington's facing these in tremendous odds. And then he gets the, uh, the, the, the Battle of Trenton, and quickly thereafter, in the first couple of days of, of 1777, the Battle of uh, Princeton, two wins that turned the tide of the, of the, of the military, of the, of the campaign, the military campaign in the country, because people believed in him. They decided to believe in Washington. They believed in the vision that he'd already had. It kind of resuscitated what had been the beginnings of the War of Independence and this whole independence movement, which is to say, what an extraordinary thing. And so when times seem tough, when and there are a lot of tough aspects of what's going on right now in our economy, in our world, in the technology, and the forces that are at play, lots of things that make you wonder and worry. In the face of all that, I have to say, there is such hope and such opportunity in America because of our exceptionalism and the basics, the people, the basics, the people. I mean, we need a revival. It's true. We need more, you know, return to our churches, return to our faith. That's true. But that happens. It'll come and go and it'll come back. I think, I hope, I pray. But our fundamentals, our people are wonderful. Our system is wonderful. The nation is wonderful. It's great. And and let me just finish this sort of uh, hopefully encouragement over the Uh, as you go into the weekend, by just saying, you know, one of the aspects of that period that you cannot dismiss as fake history, because it's documented. In other words, when someone tells you how how so-and-so was, uh, uh, Cornwallis was, you know, uh, made made great errors, the British general in his pursuit of Washington and ultimately lost the war later. He was the one uh, that at Yorktown that surrendered to Washington, all that. But, you know, you're looking back again, it's kind of fake history. The winner's right in history, right? Washington is uh, perfect. Well, even in McCulloch's book, he's, he's talking about some of the problems Washington had. However, one part of it that's really documented was the writer, Thomas Paine, who at the beginning of 1776 writes Common Sense, and at the end of 1776 writes The Crisis, what he calls The Crisis. Two sort of mini books, pamphlets they called them at the time, booklets. Well, the, the, the Common Sense becomes the, the sort of... Um, the, the, not the rallying cry, but the unifying vision. He puts, he puts vision to what people felt about independence starting in early 1776. And, and there are stories, again, recounted, not, not rewritten, not recast as history, but recounted, uh, I mean, not written down, letters home and all, where the men are in, in, around fires and people are reading aloud common sense. And it ignited the whole vision. It didn't mean everybody bought in, by the way. It didn't mean all the colonists said yes. It still meant that it was, you know, a third or a fourth or whatever. I mean, a third or a half of the people wanted it. But it was a very unifying moment. Then they slogged through 1776. And at the end, the crisis, Payne says, basically, here we are at this moment. The whole thing hangs in the balance. Who's going to stand up and fight? How's it going to go forward? And again, that one, the crisis, was less popularly galvanizing, I think, at least the way you read it, but certainly as important to understand the moment. And there, and, and all these years later, centuries later, here we are. It's a great, great story. It's a great history. And it's a great inspiration for us. So let's go talk to Hugh Brown. Let's talk to Mike Davis. Let's celebrate America. The end of this uh, uh, 4th of July Independence Week. Uh, celebrate. It's a great nation. Uh, and we'll take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I'll be back in a moment. 
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report and uh, a lot happening in across America uh, after the uh, uh, Dobbs decision. Um, so many people in so many ways that I, I jokingly say to people that uh, the, uh, you know, the, the dog uh, actually caught the car. And uh, we now have to realize that this is uh, this is something that's really important to figure out how to do now next. And so my next guest is uh, Hugh Brown, who is the executive vice president at the American Life League which is one of the organizations, Hugh, as I was talking to folks about who do you thank for what we got? We got a lot of work to do, right? This is not an end at all, but what, there's lots of groups and lots of people and your mom and dad, particularly uh, your mom who's still living, must have been just watching this and, and, and decades of hard work uh, to succeed. How, was, how did you react both as a professional you know, in the American Life League and its great work on behalf of life, but also as a son, as a, as a father, as a, a person? It's exciting days, isn't it? Oh, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. And in speaking to Judy about it, the one thing that we articulate is that the undoing, you know, the, the striking down of Roe undoes a tremendous, I don't even know what adjective to use, but just a horribly unjust decision, right? right. I mean, Roe versus Wade was clearly right. orchestrated in the works for who, knew, who knows how many years. You cannot trust the other side at any point in history. So uh, 63 million people have died. And the undoing of that is a great day for America. It's a great day for the babies. But as we say, the celebration really doesn't begin. What the focus needs to be on now is making abortion unthinkable. And as you've seen from the reaction of folks that are pro-abortion, right. Right. You know, they're, willing to, to, they're willing to go to almost any lengths, um, which is kind of frightening. Um, as I say, you know, if you're willing to kill 63 million people and sell their body parts, what will you not do? Um, right. So yep. we have to be careful. We have to be cautious. But at the same time, we have to be brave, bold, unafraid and give thanks to the Lord and keep working. Uh, again, we're talking with uh, Hugh Brown uh, at the American uh, Life League. And um, Hugh, you put out a, uh, uh, an email on uh, July 4th. And it, 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 to me, you know, we, we how we tie ourselves into our history, it's the opposite of the 1619 project. They want to cut off history for lots of reasons. But how we tie ourselves into the history of this country is um, so important. And in, in that piece, which was a July 4th, the Independence Day, obviously, you referenced your father who had uh, played such a great role in your life, but also the life of the pro-life fight. And um, like a lot, like my old boss, the late Phyllis Schlafly, um, uh, you know, Judy got a lot of the public uh, attention and your dad was doing a lot of the uh, a lot of work all around it and, and keeping it going. But tying back to our history um, and, you know, where we are, how do you feel about the moment? Feels like a lot of things are off. Right. And we got a lot of the technology that seems to be against us and the media is against us. Sometimes the politician is against us. Obviously, this huge win, as you point out, uh, meaning, OK, the, a, a fake decision, a really poorly reasoned decision of the Supreme Court that was foisted on us is gone. But that's only the beginning of the sort of fight for the culture. And you kind of sit back, don't you, and look like the, 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 your dad and your mom and their lives, so much has changed. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, if you want to loop the culture into this, look where we are now. I mean, it's almost unthinkable. I literally just finished typing an email and it hit send before I jumped on with you 
um, I'm involved with St. Michael the Archangel Catholic High School here locally. And it went out to the community because the title of the uh, article that I, I read this morning was the National Something or Another Education Association unanimously votes to change uh, the term mother to birthing person. And I mean, right, I just right. want to throw up. I mean, it's you yeah. literally have deception now at every turn. And that's an organization that is impacting how many tens of millions of kids in public school. That's what we're up against. I mean, the most sacred, blessed, amazing people on this planet are mothers, right? We're not going to refer to them now as mothers. I mean, I guess that maybe <laughs> if we bring yeah. it back to what you and I are discussing about, maybe that makes abortion easier, right? Um, I, who knows what their agenda is? All we know is it's evil and it's got to be fought at every turn. And what, one of the things that I thought about when I wrote that email was not just my dad. But the people who've been denigrated, you know, who founded this country, the people denigrating them, enjoying the freedom to denigrate them. Right. Right. Um, most a lot of them paid dear prices. Right. I mean, you don't hear a lot of, about a lot of martyrs, but their families suffer. Their communities suffered. A lot of men died uh, in the last 200 plus years, making this country what it is and women sacrificing. And we owe it to, to the risks and the, the way God has blessed this country to fight this nonsense. I mean, if not us. Ooh, yeah, so I see a lot of them. Yeah, and we're talking with Hugh Brown, uh, executive vice president of the American Life League, and uh, I'll put up on social media all all their stuff too, and and this piece I've, I linked to that you wrote. Um, but uh, Hugh, one th- if I can describe American Life League early on, laid down a marker and said, "Look, we think abortion is a killing of another life. Therefore, we're not in this to debate the exceptions and the deceptions. We're saying." It's a life. And at the time, as you described, over time, that became a position that people would say, oh, you know, you don't understand how things work. I mean, you know, you got to get over. You just got to live in the real world. I mean, things are harder than you think. There's always exceptions. And we all, you know, we can strive to the ideal. Uh, but, you know, you're going to come up. And to your credit, you, you didn't waver on that now. And I think. Part of what the late Phyllis Lively taught, like in the pro-life plank of the platform of the Republican Party, she wrote about it a lot, that you don't you can't give up. There may be exceptions like there may be sin. She didn't say that I did. Um, But you don't give up the line because once you're moving, you're moving forever. You're you're adjusting to whatever the newest whims of the of the moment are. That's the question now. Now that the now Roe v. Wade is gone, consider it a boulder that was in between us and and convincing each other as a community, all the co- a community that we could, um, you know, ban abortion and ban killing and stop the murder. Now the boulder's gone and we can proceed. But will we? That's the question. So that's a great question. And that's the million dollar question. That's the question everyone is asking. And our our approach from day one, you know, Judy, when she started the American Life League, it was after being offered to be president of National Right to Life way back when. And she turned that down, you know, graciously and maintained great relationships with them because of the fact that they uh, gave up uh, exceptions, you know, rape, incest, life of the mother are sort of the, the, the three-legged stool that people beat you up with. And when it comes to, to when we're talking about human beings, about babies in the womb, you know, when is a human being a human being? The only way to answer that, Ed, we believe is through education. We've got to educate people. We've got to make abortion unthinkable. Um, and that ALL from day one has not been a group that's, um, you know, writing laws. We're asked to comment on them all the time where legislation is, is, is never an answer. You can make abortion illegal today. It's not going to end it. Right. So we've got to educate people to the value of human life. And that has to be a relentless effort. And it seems naive, but that is the answer. And we also not believe we know 
we know that we're warring against principalities. I mean, it's a demonic, it's a demonic child sacrifice, right? I mean, they built temples in Central America and South America and other places around this world in the last 2000 years, sacrificing human beings because they felt it would, you know, help grow their crops or whatever nonsense they believed. We're still sacrificing people today. I mean, we, we make those people look a little bit moral than we are. And think about how sad and unbelievable that is, right? We've killed 63 million. That's just surgical abortion. Chemical, right. who knows? Another right. 63, 163. It's, it's a lot, and we've got a lot of work to do, and we've got to educate people to the common sense understanding that the founding fathers had, that when a human being is conceived in his mother's womb, he's a human being. Day one, day 50, day 120, it doesn't matter. It's a human being. Someday, hopefully, he's on the radio show talking to you. <laughs> the point is, you know, don't, don't kill him. Right. I was killing an answer to your problems. It's nonsense. Uh, we're talking with Hugh Brown. Hugh, your, your career arc, um, uh, yourself having um, started a high school in your community, um, in particular, serving young, you know, because you wanted young people to be educated in, in, in Northern Virginia, or I guess Central Virginia is technical, be, be a little more accurate. Um, what, what do you, how do you feel about the, um, the way it's depicted as opposed to the reality of young people? You, you get people to say, oh, young people, they, they, they want nothing to do with, uh, you know, uh, uh, pro-life. They want, uh, you know, abortion rights. They want their freedom. They, they're, you know, kind of now young people are always by definition dumb, right? You get wiser as you get older. That's how I, I, I mean, I'm, that's my, that's my opinion. But how do you, how do you react to that? And what are you seeing? What do you think is in the world where we put our kids through the ringer of COVID, we put our kids through the ringer of, you know, uh, smartphones when they're 10 or 12 or whatever, that's just changing their lives on this issue of life. What, what, what's your sense of the accessibility and, and where young people are? So what I've seen in my experience is that young people thirst for the truth. And if they're not fed the truth, they will go down the path of, of least resistance. And so you have got to be relentless and resolved in educating and teaching uh, young people to the value of human life. At, at our high school, I'm also uh, the head football coach. And one of the things that, uh, and I have young men, many of whom are not from Catholic families, many of whom are not from Christian families. We, uh, our program's a little different. You know, we, yeah, we're going to talk about X's and O's. But we talk about these things uh, almost every day. I have character coaches, pastors, priests. I got everybody involved you can possibly imagine for the well-being of their souls. And that's what I explained to them. The world is a deceiver. It's mm-hmm. lied from day one. And when it comes to life, especially young men, right? A, a young woman isn't going to find herself in a position of having abortion or to having to consider having an abortion if young men are acting like men instead of just acting like dogs wanting to sleep with you know every girl they see. Mm-hmm. So we talk about these things, and it's difficult, and it's uncomfortable for them, not for me. Uh, but we try to get them to a place of comfort where they understand accountability, right? Mm-hmm. Accountability means that you have to act responsibly, and if you because life happens. You find yourself in a position where a young woman is pregnant. Well, you're a father. You're going to be a father. If that child gets aborted, you're still a father forever. So bring that child into, into this planet because he or she deserves the same opportunities you have. And we have to be relentless in our pursuit and communicating because if we don't, and as you see, Ed, the enemy's never going to stop. And all the things you mentioned, smartphones, tech companies, it's all lined against us. I mean, I, it's unbelievable, yeah. but still the truth prevails. I mean, it, well, the truth is written on your heart, mine, and everyone else's. We just have to feed that and awaken it. 
Yeah. And um, well, and thank you. That was great. Great. Uh, thank you for that. And, and uh, that response is uh, right in line with how I feel and, and think it, but a lot of people need to hear it. And I think, um, you know, again, uh, as we talk about the future, now we're out into 50 states plus the territories and we're saying, hey, how are we going to explain to you what this means? And, and the, the best argument is the truth that the best argument is not a good slogan. The best argument is not a good uh, talking point. It's the truth. You get to that by those other things. And so uh, ALL.org is the website, ALL.org, the American Life League. Uh, Hugh, thanks for your time. As always, we'll have you on again and appreciate it very much. All right, Ed, have a great day. Thank you. You too. Thank you. We'll take a break, everybody. And we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, touching base with our old friend Mike Davis and seeing what he's up to and what he thinks. Uh, he has been uh, traveling the world, I think, the last time, Mike. Do we have Maybe we had you for collegians from uh, from Ireland. I'm not sure if you were, uh, if it was on the show. But anyway, you've been traveling the world all over the place. Article3project.org, everybody. Article, the number three, uh, project.org. Find out more about the Article 3 Project. So welcome back, Mike. How are you? Thank you for having me, Ed, and I'm doing very well. So first, reactions, uh, your reaction to Dobbs. It was a monumental decision. It's one of the most important decisions that, to come out of the Supreme Court uh, in decades. It's up there with Brown versus Board of Education. And what it does correctly is it finally overrules a 49-year-old, 49-year-old terrible precedent in Roe versus Wade and returns abortion regulations back to the states where they were for the first 200 years of our republic and makes it where, uh, at the time, in row seven, unelected, lifetime-appointed, paper-tected judges are not making abortion regulations for the entire country. So, um, Mike, uh, we're talking with Mike Davis, Article 3 Project. Um, uh, Mike, the you clerked for the Supreme Court, and and you know, and so you're around a community of people who are at their at their heart. They're they're some of the top um, lawyers, education wise, but also skill set to get to clerk there. Usually, you're clerking in the you know AAA of the of the clerking situation in the Court of Appeals, Federal Court of Appeals, and all. Um, but when you guys sit around and you're talking, because not everybody is liberal all the way, conservative all the way. There's lots of different mixes. You know, uh, just just Justice Alito, one of his former clerks, just resigned as the counsel to the White House. In other words, there's some crossover. I think Justice Thomas will periodically take a, a, a more liberal clerk. But when you all sit around and people think about this, isn't there something of a broader consensus that Roe v. Wade and then Casey was really it was really poorly done? I mean, you may like the end. There's lots of people that are left leaning that want abortion on demand and a right, but it was really sloppy. I mean, don't don't even liberals admit that that are they're really smart. Yeah, even the late Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, publicly stated that that Roe versus Wade was uh, decided on the wrong legal foundation. So yes, right. there's certainly a consensus. I think what the left did, what the abortion industry did, was push people just to mindlessly accept. This idea that because it was wrongly decided 49 years ago, you should follow precedent and continue to apply this wrongly decided case for 49 years. And I would just say, okay, if we if we handled precedent that way, we would not have overturned Plessy versus Ferguson, separate but equal Jim Crow segregation, right. then decided Brown versus Board of Education that's that that overturned Plessy, Plessy and, right. and desegregated. <clears throat> 
uh, public schools and desegregated public life. So, um, uh, Mike, again, part of your uh, public role has been persuading people of the importance of appointments and therefore judicial philosophy and all. And so but when you say to people, hey, look, um, nothing was no, no nothing was um, taken away from anybody. All that was made clear was the states can decide. And, you know, some I've, I, I get my listeners uh, probably some of them smile. Some of them tease me by texting me because I quote her a lot. Uh, Naomi Wolf, the feminist who's you know for abortion, said, you know, Roe was a, a bad decision. And Dobbs is a feminist decision because now women uh, are the majority in a lot of states. They can decide if they want, if they if they if they really did vote in a block, which they don't, of course. But so that's all good. But when, you know, again, back to your role, Article three project and other ways persuading people. Are you sensing after Roe that forget about the the, the professional um, classes that fight about this, that regular people, interested people, smart people, you know, uh, attentive people, whatever, just a broad range are seeing this Dobbs a little differently than the media thought that uh, projected they would? Yeah, I mean, just look at the polling on what people care about for the midterm elections and abortions like at 1% or 2%. People care about inflation. They care about their kids' safety. They care about the economy. They care about oil prices. Uh, they don't care about Dobbs and the abortion decision. It, it's not con- going to affect them. And I think people understand that if you, uh, you know, you, you, the, Roe versus Wade was actually the most anti-democratic decision possible because it federalized all abortion regulations and took them out of the uh, the elective process. It's no longer our elected state representatives. Uh, th- those who are closest to us are, are are working with their communities to come up with abortion regulations. It was just you know taken away from all of us. And I think with Dobbs, you're going to see these uh, these are going to be political debates, political fights in the state legislatures where they belong. And I always tell people if you don't like abortion. Uh, regulations move to California. If you don't like COVID regulations, move to Florida. The Democrats kind of destroyed their two best arguments for Roe versus Wade during COVID. They, they, uh, you know, my body, my choice went out the door with informed consent on, consent on experimental COVID vaccines. And then the woke left went after women and said that they're, you know, birthing persons and we can't talk about women anymore. So there goes women and there goes my body, my choice. Uh, we're talking with Mike Davis. Um, Mike Davis, uh, among other uh, roles, he, play, he worked for the um, uh, the um, uh, Senate, working with uh, Senator Chuck Grassley on the Judiciary Committee. He himself clerked for uh, Justice Gorsuch uh, and played a role also in the appointments um, uh, of Kavanaugh and, and others. Um, Justice Kavanaugh, there was a, a, a brief firestorm of criticism. It, it didn't last. It was a bit silly, but I, I think it'd be helpful because you, your perspective would be interesting that people said, oh, wait, Kavanaugh and Coney Barrett, they lied to us during the hearings. They lied to us during the interviews. Um, How do you respond? How, how do you react to that? Maybe better than respond. It's not your job to respond necessarily. It's just political noise. I was the Senate staff leader for Justice Kavanaugh's confirmation. I was the outside leader for Justice Gorsuch's confirmation as as his former law clerk. I worked on the uh, Chief Justices and Justice Alito's confirmations from the uh, Bush 43 White House. And I, uh, through the Article 3 project, we strongly supported uh, Justice Amy Coney Barrett's confirmation. These Supreme Court nominees are federal judges. They are bound by the judicial canons. And their job is to say that they will follow precedent. And, in, and part of your job with following precedent is uh, evaluating the precedent 
to determine whether A, it's still good law, and B, if it's not still good law, what are the consequences of overturning that? There are multi-factors that judges consider. And every judge does this. It would be like saying that Justice Kagan and Justice Sotomayor lied because they said that they would uphold the precedent in Heller and then they voted against gun rights. That's just not how it works. It's nonsense. It's political noise. And it's some of this is even coming from Republican politicians like Senator Susan Collins in Maine and Senator Lisa Murkowski in Alaska, two liberal women in the Senate. And I just think that they need to cool their jets, maybe do their homework a little bit more and, and stop being uh, uh, stop accusing Supreme Court justices of unethical conduct because nothing could be farther from the truth. We're talking with again with Mike Davis. Uh, Article3project.org is uh, his website. Article3project.org. Uh, the number three is, uh, is how that's written. Um, Mike, uh, what about the, um, uh, the Marshall? I think it's the Marshall. Is that the right term of the court? Writing a letter to the governor of Virginia and the governor of Maryland saying, please enforce your laws uh, or please. Yeah, I think it's please enforce your laws uh, um, because there are laws on the books uh, regarding not just uh, picketing or protesting, but um, the kind of uh, presence that's clearly meant to intimidate people. And the comeback for I think both of them was, oh, you know, federal government, you do your job. Where are we on this situation where we had targeted our justices uh, because of the decisions? So the marshal of the Supreme Court is the chief law enforcement officer of the Supreme Court. The marshal runs the Supreme Court police, which is like a 200-man police force. Where this has started is that after the Dobbs draft decision leaked about two months ago, the Supreme Court justices and their families were being threatened in their homes, such that several of them had to be removed from their homes. And uh, even Justice Kavanaugh faced an assassination attempt with his wife and two young daughters in their homes. This is a serious, deadly game. We saw in 2020, Judge Esther Salas, an Obama appointee in New Jersey, had her son Daniel, 20-year-old son Daniel, murdered and her husband Mark seriously wounded after someone doxed her home and this madman showed up angry over a case that she was deciding. So uh, there are federal statutes on the books that deal with these issues, including 18 U.S.C. 1507. It is obstruction of justice under federal criminal code to go to a federal judge's home to for the purposes of intimidating them over a case. And the Attorney General Merrick Garland is squarely to blame for these illegal uh, intimidate, intimidation campaigns at these Supreme Court justices' homes that are, putting, that are putting these Supreme Court justices and their families at grave risk. He sent the FBI after every goofball and grandma who trespassed and took selfies on January 6th. He sicked the FBI after parents legally protesting at public school board meetings in Loudoun County, Virginia. Uh, he just sicked the Civil Rights Division after the state of Arizona for merely asking that people who are registering to vote prove that they're U.S. citizens. But Attorney General Merrick Garland can't be bothered to make arrests of people who are clearly obstructing justice by intimidating Supreme Court justices and their families and their homes. He's also done the same thing with pro-life pregnancy centers and Catholic churches. That's a violation of federal civil rights criminal statute to attack uh, pregnancy centers, just like abortion clinics, and also churches, synagogues, mosques. But Merrick Garland, uh, you know, Merrick Garland actually indicted nine people in D.C. back in March for uh, for uh, for protesting at an abortion clinic. But he can't be bothered to 
arrest people or even, uh, you know, make public statements about pro-life centers and churches. He, when, when Republicans take over the House in January, they need to impeach this man because it is a total dereliction of duty, and he's putting federal judges, Catholics, and Christians in grave danger with his amnesty. We're talking with uh, Mike Davis. Mike, um, same thing on the same follow up on the Marshall question, though. Um, I think a lot of people are now wondering, uh, why haven't we heard who the leaker was? Why hasn't there been accountability? I mean, I know early on you, uh, for reasons that had to do with safety, mostly said, hey, look, if there was a leak, it's a terrible violation. But get the opinion out, because the last thing we need is people festering in what might happen. Can I change history by, you know, doing something terrible, which we saw the fruits of legit, you know, it was it was a terror six or seven weeks because you wondered if someone was going to drive a truck bomb up against some justices thing and say, now you don't have the majority, right? So we all got that. Where's the marshal on the leak? I mean, the leak still is one of the more egregious um, violations of at least the norm, if not the law. What is your sense on that? I know you can't know for sure, but what what are you, was it that they need to get out of this session, get all the cases out, get away for the break, and they're going to get to it? Or what do you think? So I have not had any conversations with anyone inside that building about this investigation intentionally. And I, but I would say this just from reading the public reporting, I understand there's an aggressive investigation going on inside that building, including questioning the law clerks, taking uh, statements from the law clerks that are subject to 18 USC 1001. You can go to jail for making false statements. Um, I, I am, I think they're going to get to the bottom of this. They have to, and they have to, because this is an unprecedented leak. I think it's one uh, deranged law clerk, uh, presumably from one of the liberal justices. Each law clerk has, or each justice has four law clerks. And so the three liberals have 12 law clerks. I think it's one of them based upon the circumstantial evidence. It's maybe, maybe it's not fair for me to say that, but they have the access to the draft opinion and the, the deliberations of the justices that leaked to Politico twice, along with the motive to do it. I right. think they uh, to question all of these law clerks, including these twelve, get their emails, get their phone records, uh, you know, whatever it takes to get to the bottom of this. This cannot happen again. You cannot set a precedent where you're endangering the lives of Supreme Court justices and trying to change their vote on pending cases. We're not a third world banana republic. This is obstruction of justice. If you can show that the intent was to change a Justice Kavanaugh's vote, for example. They have to get to the bottom of this for the credibility of the court. And 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 again, you're just I know you're predicting or guessing if they are, if they do, the timeline wouldn't be based on anything we can see. It wouldn't be done before the court starts a session. If you had to guess, I mean, they start again in uh, October. I mean, again, are we it's I, I think you taught me this. It shouldn't take that long. The universe is pretty small. Get them all in and, and say what who did it and or did you do it and let them either lie or not lie and figure it out. So I do think that the marshal of the Supreme Court minimally needs to put out a report of what what they investigated, what they didn't investigate. Uh, this is this is much bigger than an internal HR matter for the Supreme Court. This affects a the functioning of a separate branch of government, and I think that the marshal of the Supreme Court has a duty to alert the public that everything is going to be okay inside the Supreme court. And this is not going to be a regular practice. So they have to get to the bottom of this. Okay. Well, I will look forward to it. All right, Mike Davis, as always, thank you for your time again, article three project.org article, the number three project.org lots uh, of there, there. I get, well, one more thing, I guess there's not much to comment on uh, the new justice, uh, 
uh justice is it do we refer to as brown is it or do you have to do the hyphenated name but i I mean that went through it went through and it's sort of not much to say right justice jackson is uh she's a she's a justice on the supreme court justice Breyer has officially retired justice Breyer was a very good man uh each set of the law clerks uh does lunch with each one of the justices during the course of their their clerkship with gorsuch's first clerks we were only there for three months to get them set up at the end of the term and uh each one of the justices met with those justice Breyer is funny he's kind he's uh he was very generous with his time they may disagree but it truly is a family inside of the supreme court sometimes it's a you know fighting family but it's a family <laughs> with the supreme court and he will be missed on the supreme court he's a very good man well I've, and mike davis knows a thing or two about fighting anyway we'll talk, we'll go do that another time uh mike davis thanks for the time we will uh put all this up on social media and again article3project.org and we'll take a break everybody we'll be right back it's ed martin here on the pro america report back in a moment this is the phyllis schlafly report a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro family legacy of phyllis schlafly Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Border Patrol agents were the heroes who risked their own lives to intercede during the terrible shooting at the Uvalde, Texas Elementary School, which is located only 70 miles from the Texas-Mexico border. These agents defied requests by local police to stand down, and the agents stormed the classroom to save lives by killing the assailant. These heroes recognized this as a suicide mission because the 18-year-old shooter had barricaded himself inside to kill whoever tried to stop him. Warped by playing many hours of violent video games as teenage shooters do, the assailant probably sought to rack up his score by killing as many as possible. One of these valiant Border Patrol agents took a bullet to his head as fired by the teenage murderer just before the agents killed him. The bullet pierced the agent's baseball cap and the skin of his scalp, and he needed four stitches later to patch his wound. The agent was wearing a baseball cap because their unit rushed in to save children rather than waiting for the gear that would ordinarily be worn by them in these sorts of encounters. Yet our national conversation seemed to miss the expected national praise for these Border Patrol agents who put themselves in peril to save children. President Joe Biden should have immediately granted them presidential medals of honor. President Trump would have done that right away. Our border agents should know that their heroism will be recognized, especially when they go above and beyond the call of duty. Instead, an unhelpful blame game against local law enforcement is being played out by the media. Has the Border Patrol become such a political punching bag that the left can't even be bothered to praise those that courageously put themselves at risk of death to protect the innocent? If not even that level of heroism is commendable enough to merit commendation, how far has our society fallen? I would even take it a step further. Border Patrol agents should be lauded for the job they do every day. They work to keep Americans safe and to keep drugs off the streets. I applaud all Border Patrol agents but especially those brave agents who showed true heroism in Ovalde, Texas. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Illegal immigration burdens our schools and social services and opens doors to criminals and terrorists. Outdated visa programs divert jobs from Americans. PhyllisSchlafly.com chronicles these outrageous unfair practices and provides answers. Go online to PhyllisSchlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. 
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, let me uh, do something that I keep uh, getting a couple. I got a few requests from folks on email or texting about um, where to go to learn more about some stuff. Let me just tell, walk you through this. Um, obviously, ProAmericaReport.com is where you can get all the show um, segments. And a lot of the, the uh, um, support documents and all, there'll be standalone links, the podcast, everything else. But also a lot of what I do and I cite is over at phyllisschlafly.com. So the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, our organization, is a nonprofit that Phyllis Schlafly founded years ago. And there we have all kinds of sort of backup for what we're doing. Research papers, commentaries, links to books, all kinds of things that are available for you to understand these issues and a very good searchable database. So if you go to phyllisschlafly.com, you hear any topic, you want to you know, do a search for uh, liberal world order and new world order, which we were talking about the other day, you want to go to search for abortion, partial birth abortion, judicial supremacy, Roe v. Wade, any topic you can think of, phyllisschlafly.com, very useful website for that searchable database, lots of great writing and primary sources. So check that out. Thank you. for That's a good question. All right, everybody, listen, I got to finish up. Thank you to Noah Dingley, our great producer, Joanna, our associate producer, and thank you for listening. We'll talk again very soon. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.